Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday, then again every Thursday on YouTube as well, and you're not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the brutal double homicide of Manfred and Mauricia Richthofen. Now, I do want to go ahead and apologize in advance because I guarantee you I will be butchering some of the pronunciation on some of these words. I have looked them up and tried to find the best and most accurate pronunciation of them. However, just know that if there is a mispronunciation, I do apologize in advance and it is not purposeful at all. So with that being said, Let's jump right on into it today. 49-year-old Manfred von Richthofen was born on February 3rd, 1953 in Germany. He attended college at the University of Sao Paulo, which is actually in Brazil. I think that this is the first case that we have ever covered that was located in Brazil. And while he was attending college at Sao Paulo is where he met his wife, a woman named Mauricia, in the early 1970s. Now, once the two of them met, they decided to continue their studies together. So they left the University of Sao Paulo to go study in Germany before returning back to Brazil, where Manfred got a job as an engineer for a company called Dursa. And Dursa manages Sao Paulo's highway systems. And while Manfred was working at Dursa, Mauricia worked as a psychiatrist and owned her own practice. And she was a very well-respected and very reputable psychiatrist. Now, when Manfred and Mauricia settled down, they decided to do so in Sao Paulo, Brazil, but more specifically in a district called Campobello. Manfred and Mauricia had two children shortly after that. They had Suzanne, who was born in 1983, and Andreas who was born in 1987. Now, something to know about this family is that they were very affluent. They lived a lavish and luxurious lifestyle. They lived in a mansion. They had staff that would come and take care of their home. Suzanne and Andreas attended the best of the best private schools in the area. They were used to a specific lifestyle but they weren't necessarily very social with other families. Manfred was said to be the more quiet one of the family, while Mauricia was definitely more outgoing and a little bit more social than her husband. However, one thing that they could both agree on was their admiration for their children. They both loved their children above and beyond. They were proud of them. They wanted the best for them, and they wanted their children to dream big, and they were going to help them try and achieve those dreams however they could. And just from reading the dynamic that this family had, I think anyone would be thrilled to have Mauricia and Manfred as their parents. So their daughter, Suzanne, was the oldest, and at the time of the murders, she was 18 years old, and her brother, Andreas, was 15. Andreas was still in high school. However, Suzanne was studying law at a Catholic university in Sao Paulo, and she was very, very intelligent. She was able to speak four languages, and she also had a brown belt in karate. 
Now, something that Suzanne absolutely loved was stuffed animals. She loved collecting them. She loved gifting them to her family and her friends. Other things that she liked to do is hanging out at the mall and going shopping and buying clothes. Her parents did give her a weekly allowance and she was able to do whatever she wanted with that allowance and she used it to spend it on clothes and stuffed animals. Now, Andreas, on the other hand, he had a very big hobby of flying model airplanes. His parents set him up with an instructor to help him learn more about this hobby of his, and the instructor's name is Daniel Kravinos. And Daniel started out as a model airplane instructor. However, he really turned into an older brother and really a mentor figure for Andreas. Daniel was 19 at the time, and Andreas was in his early teenage years and Daniel had a very big influence. They would go bike riding together. They would play computer games together. And again, Andreas just looked up to Daniel. And one day Suzanne accompanied Andreas to his model airplane lesson. And that is where Suzanne and Daniel met. Now, when they met, Suzanne was 17 years old at the time. And like I said, Daniel was 19. And they started out having a very solid friendship. However, over time, this definitely turned into a romantic and sexual relationship. Now, when Manfred and Mauricia first got word of their daughter's new relationship and their daughter's boyfriend, they didn't have a problem with it because for them, this didn't seem like a very established, credible relationship. Her parents really thought that this was just a fling and that this was something that would pass. However, once this relationship started going on for longer than they expected, meaning around a year, year and a half, Suzanne's parents started to realize that they might have misjudged this relationship for what it was. And it was around this time that Suzanne's parents started learning some things about Daniel that they were not too happy with. Manfred and Mauricia learned that Daniel smoked weed every day, he quit his job, and had no plans on getting a new one. Once they learned about Daniel's drug use and how unmotivated that he was, they stopped being so nonchalant about the relationship that their daughter was in. Now, another big part of this is, like I said in the beginning, this family was very affluent. They came from a very good part of town. They lived in a mansion. And Daniel, on the other hand, came from a lower class part of town. And Daniel and his brother Christian had a reputation in that town of always causing trouble. Christian had been in and out of rehab for cocaine and neighbors of the boys would actually end up moving out of the neighborhood simply because they didn't want to be around Christian and Daniel and their disruptive behavior. Now, Suzanne's parents had expressed their concerns to their daughter multiple times. However, it was clear to them that Suzanne did not see Daniel's behaviors as an issue. So because they figured that Suzanne was not going to listen to them and not going to end the relationship if they had asked her to do so, they actually decided to go to Daniel. And they offered schooling for Daniel, told him to go back to school and learn English so he could get a job. However, Daniel refused. So at that point, in Mauricia and Manfred's minds, they really had done everything. They had tried to reason with Suzanne, they had tried to reason with Daniel, but neither of them are really budging. And they really thought that Daniel was just holding Suzanne back in her life, and they made the decision that they did not want Suzanne to see Daniel anymore. Now, as you can imagine, this did not make 17-year-old Suzanne happy at all. 
Once her parents told her this, she decided to start rebelling against them and did not end the relationship. So essentially, she was a teenager who was pissed at her parents because they would not let her date whoever she wanted. But Suzanne did not care about the opinions of her parents. She thought that she knew what was best and she was going to do whatever she had to do to be with Daniel. In July of 2002, Mauricia and Manfred were actually on vacation for a month and Susan ended up moving Daniel into their home with her for the month that they were gone. Now, by the time they got back, Susan demanded that her parents bought her an apartment for her and Daniel to live in together. Now, Manfred thought this was just an absolutely absurd idea, and he told her there was no way that he was going to be buying Suzanne an apartment for her to live in with Daniel, but he also wasn't super unreasonable about it. He told her that if she got a job and saved up enough money that she can go get her own apartment with Daniel and no one could stop her because it would be money that she had earned. But they also told Suzanne that as long as she was living under their roof, she was going to abide by their rules. But again, this did not stop Suzanne. By the time she was 18, she was spending most of her time with Daniel. She ended up skipping out on her high school graduation party to spend the night with Daniel instead. And while she was attending law school, she would actually bring Daniel to her classes with her just so the two of them could spend time together. It was really clear to everyone around Suzanne that she just idolized Daniel. She was at his beck and call and thought he could do no wrong. And this type of idolization went both ways. Daniel had painted a mural on his bedroom wall of Suzanne and also slept with a pillowcase with her face on it. And because they were spending so much time together, it was only a matter of time before Suzanne started picking up on Daniel's bad habits. And that included the drug use. And the drug use was really Manfred and Mauricia's last and final straw. They were over it. They had asked Suzanne once before to stop seeing Daniel, which she did not do. So now they took out the big guns and told Suzanne that if she did not stop seeing Daniel, that they were going to cut off her allowance completely. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that Suzanne loved to shop. She loved the finer things in life. She lived a very lavish and luxurious lifestyle. And her parents knew that the one thing that they could take away from her that she would care about was that allowance. And because Suzanne did not want her parents to take her allowance away, she told them that she broke up with Daniel. Now, was that the truth? No. Suzanne had continued to see Daniel behind her parents' back and made them just think that the two of them had broken up. And Manfred and Mauricia were very smart people. They definitely had their suspicions that this is what was happening and that Suzanne was just sneaking behind their back. However, they were never really able to prove it. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
So now we move on to October 30th, 2002. And this was a very normal day. Suzanne woke up, she went to her sociology and foundations of public law classes before going back home where she lived with her parents. Now that night around 9.30 p.m., Suzanne had left the house to go to Daniel's home to pick him up and then went back to her house to grab Andreas and drop him off at an internet cafe called Red Play Cafe. Like I mentioned earlier, this was something that was very normal. Andreas loved to go to internet cafes and hang out with his friends and play computer games. And Daniel and Suzanne spent the rest of their night together before Suzanne dropped Daniel back off at his house and picked Andreas up at the internet cafe at 3 a.m. Suzanne and Andreas drove home together and when they pulled up to the house, they immediately noticed that something was wrong. The front door to their home was wide open, which was not something that was normal, and when they walked in, the house had appeared to be ransacked. Furniture was turned over, papers were everywhere, and seeing the state of the house, they ran to their parents' bedroom, and when they did, they discovered the bodies of their mother and father dead in their room. Both of their parents were lying in bed and had clearly been bludgeoned, and they both had towels covering their faces. There was blood all over the room, on the walls, on the ceilings, and they knew that their parents had been murdered. Now, police were immediately called and they arrived on the scene at around 4.15 in the morning. Now, when police got there, the investigation kicked off and police could tell from the get-go that whoever was responsible for this wanted to make it appear as if this was a robbery. But when police started looking closer at this case and closer at the house in particular, they realized that even though whoever was responsible for this wanted to make it seem like this was a robbery, It definitely was not. Even though the house was ransacked and papers were everywhere, there were still many valuables that remained in the house. There were cell phones, jewelry, cars, electronics, artwork, and even Manfred's gun were all things that were left behind. And police knew that if robbers were coming in to burglarize the home, those were items that they would take with them. Along with that, all of the papers that were scattered around the house definitely seemed to be in perfect placement. It didn't seem like someone had gone in and was scouring through the house and was just throwing papers on the floor. It almost seemed like someone had neatly taken the papers and one by one placed them throughout the house. Police also noticed that there were no signs of forced entry and that the house alarm was disarmed. Now, those were two things that definitely did not feel right to the authorities. However, one thing that they did notice was that there was a large amount of cash that was taken from Manfred's office. However, again, that was the only thing that they could find that was missing from the home. Now, police from the get-go thought that this was an inside job. This had to be someone who knew how to get into the house without causing a scene of forced entry. Along with that, it had to be someone who knew how to disarm the family alarm. So they started to look and see if Manfred or Mauricia had any enemies. This is when they became aware of a housekeeper that the family had recently fired and this housekeeper had threatened the family. She was interviewed excessively before ultimately removed as a person of interest. So because of that, police just decided to sit back and observe the behavior of people who knew the family. And that included 
the children. Andreas was beside himself at the loss of his parents. However, Suzanne, on the other hand, she didn't seem as phased. The day after the murders, Suzanne and Daniel were seen swimming and laughing in the pool of her family home. And on the night of the funeral for her parents that had just been murdered, she held her 19th birthday party at her home where her parents had been killed. Along with all of this, Suzanne and Daniel also seemed way more concerned about the inheritance that Suzanne was supposed to receive than anything else. They really never asked any questions about the investigation or about possible suspects or persons of interest or what the police were doing to try and track down her parents' killer. The only questions she ever asked were in regards to her inheritance. She even told police that her and Daniel were planning on starting a business with the inheritance money that she was going to get. And police thought that this was very bizarre behavior, but you can't just arrest someone on behavior alone. You need proof. You need evidence. So police decided to do some more digging. And that is when they ended up looking into Christian, who again is Daniel's brother. Police learned very quickly that just 10 hours after the murders of Manfred and Mauricia, Christian had purchased a $3,600 motorcycle in all cash. Now, police looked into the type of job that Christian had, and it was clear to them that he would not have been able to afford that kind of a motorcycle simply based off of the salary of his job. So on November 7th of 2002, police picked up Christian at his house and drove him to the police station for an interrogation. Christian was questioned for six hours and throughout his interrogation, he was continuously tripping up on his statements and he was changing his story. Police started to question him on where Christian got the money to purchase this motorcycle and he really couldn't give them a solid answer. They knew that his job wouldn't have been able to finance that kind of a bike and Christian did not know what else to say. And this is where he broke down and ultimately, confessed. And before we move any further on what that confession is, we're going to take a quick second and thank our sponsors for today's episode. Now, according to Christian, he said that Suzanne and Daniel had approached him about accompanying them and killing Suzanne's parents. On the late night, early morning hours of October 31st, Christian and Daniel were let in to Manfred and Mauricia's home by Suzanne, who had disarmed the house alarm and turned off the video security system. Suzanne pointed out where her parents' bedroom was and told them that her parents were asleep. After she directed them to which room they were in, Suzanne then sat on the couch and waited while Christian and Daniel went into her parents' room and murdered them. Christian and Daniel both began bludgeoning Suzanne's parents with metal rods. Now, after Manfred and Mauricia had been bludgeoned, both of them began making noises, which Christian and Daniel were not anticipating. The medical examiner was able to concur that the noises came from their tongues falling into the back of their throat, and they were creating a snoring noise. And that was the noises that Daniel and Christian were hearing. However, in their perspective, they believed that Mauricia and Manfred were still alive and so they thought they were more so survival 
noises. So because of that, Daniel then ran into the kitchen and brought up a bucket of water and poured it on both Manfred and Mauricia's head in an effort to drown them. Now, while that worked for Manfred, it did not for Mauricia. So to finally end her life, they stuck a plastic bag over her head and suffocated her. Once the killings were over, the boys called Suzanne up into the bedroom so she can take a look for herself and assess the job that was done. After that, they all went back downstairs and began staging the robbery. And once the house was staged, all three of them left the crime scene. Daniel and Suzanne checked into a motel for the night to try and establish an alibi for themselves, and Christian went and grabbed something to eat at a fast food restaurant. So while Christian was confessing to police, police then went to Suzanne and Andreas's home to tell her that they needed to speak to her. Now, Suzanne immediately could tell that something was wrong. Police had told her that they had spoken to Christian and her guard went up immediately. She started telling police that she had broken up with Daniel and she denied any involvement. Now, what police would later learn is that the reason that Suzanne broke up with Daniel to begin with is because she learned that Christian bought a bike in cash with the money that they stole. And Suzanne thought that that put too big of a target on their back. So instead of staying in the relationship, she ended it. Now, because Christian had confessed, him, Suzanne, and Daniel were all arrested. And once arrested, Suzanne also admitted to the murders of her parents. Now in Brazilian law, if you aren't caught red-handed necessarily, so if there isn't any physical evidence to prove the crime, it is common to be released from police custody and placed on house arrest while you wait for your trial. And that is exactly what happened to Suzanne. She was placed on house arrest while awaiting for her trial. And when she got home, she tried to launch a lawsuit in hopes for her to take complete control over her parents' estate, which was valued at more than $5 million in US dollars. However, this lawsuit never ended up going through because police had discovered a revolver hidden inside one of Suzanne's stuffed animals, her teddy bear to be exact. They found a revolver stuffed inside a teddy bear in Suzanne's room and they feared for Andreas' safety. So the lawsuit never went through. Now this case took the media by storm and unlike the boys, Suzanne had a prestigious lawyer who was actually a family friend. And his whole approach to this case was to portray Suzanne as an innocent girl who was led astray and that she was forced into this situation by Daniel. In April of 2006, Suzanne did an interview where it was very clear that they tried to portray her as innocent and as youthful. She was dressed in a Mickey Mouse t-shirt. And mind you, she was in her early 20s at this point. She's dressed in a Mickey Mouse t-shirt. She has hair clips in her hair and she was made to look a lot younger than she was. In the interview, she was crying and said that Daniel had destroyed her family and took everything away from her. The following day, she did another media interview where she dressed as a little girl again. She was in a panda t-shirt this time. However, what she and her lawyer did not know is that their mics had been on prior to the interview starting. And while their mics were on, the network that was conducting the interview got audio of Suzanne's lawyer telling her how to act. He actually said, quote, start to cry and say you don't want to talk anymore. 
end quote. And when that audio clip got released to the public, it severely affected Suzanne's credibility because there were a lot of people who were on her side to begin with and thought it was very, very likely that she got caught up with these bad boys and they convinced her to murder her parents because they wanted to inherit all of their money. However, after seeing this and seeing what appeared to be overkill and an overperformance with how they were trying to portray Suzanne as a victim, a lot of those people who felt sympathy for her to begin with were no longer on her side. So now we move to July 2006, so four years after the murders, and this is when the trial began. Christian, Daniel, and Suzanne were all being charged with first-degree murder. Now, Suzanne in the courtroom was very cool, calm, and collected throughout the trial. She showed very little emotion throughout the majority of it. However, the boys were seen crying on multiple occasions. When Daniel took the stand to testify, he claimed that one year into his relationship with Suzanne, she was the one who told him that she wanted to kill her parents. Daniel said that he witnessed firsthand Manfred and Mauricia abusing Suzanne. However, there's never been any evidence to back that up, and Suzanne actually denies those claims. Daniel said that whenever Suzanne did drugs, she would talk about the ways that she wanted to kill her parents, which included burning down the house or cutting the brakes in her parents' car. Now, Suzanne also took the stand in the trial and said that Daniel was the one who came up with the idea of killing her parents. She said, quote, Daniel tried in every way to destroy the beautiful image I had of my father. In fact, I wanted to be close with him and have my parents accept him, but that was something that could not happen. He was showing me day after day that I did not have that option. Either it was him or my parents. We got home, I went inside, went to my parents' bedroom, they were asleep. Then I went down, turned on the light, and I told Daniel and Christian they could go. I sat on the couch with my hands covering my ears. I did not want my parents to die. I did not want it. But then I realized that there was nothing I could do, that it was too late, end quote. Now, the prosecution claimed that Suzanne's entire motive for this murder was to gain her family's fortune, which was close to $21 million in US money at that time. And she wanted the money so she could live the life that she wanted without having to work and with the boy that her parents did not approve of. They definitely portrayed her as a spoiled little rich girl who finally was told no by her parents and went to the extreme when she didn't get what she wanted. Now, after the jury deliberated, Suzanne and Daniel were sentenced to 40 years in prison and Christian was sentenced to 39. After the sentencing, the prosecutor said that Suzanne, quote, wanted to get her hands on the money and assets her parents had worked so hard to obtain. She wanted her freedom and independence without having to work for it. These are two young people who have acted selfishly, ambitiously. They killed without mercy. And that other one who was united for stupidity, for money and gain, which is a defect of the human soul, end quote. Now, after the trial, Andreas went on to live with his grandmother. He then went on to attend the University of Sao Paulo, just like his father and his mother, where he managed to get his doctorate in chemistry. However, sadly, for the last couple years, 
No one has been able to get a hold of Andreas. He ended up going down a path of drugs and alcohol and really spiraled from the trauma that he endured, as you can imagine. In 2009 and 2011, Suzanne tried to get her sentence changed to house arrest. However, she was luckily denied both times. And then in 2011, Andreas sued Suzanne for half of her inheritance and he won. So all of the money that Suzanne killed her parents over went to Andreas. However, like I said, unfortunately, no one has been able to locate him for the past couple years. Suzanne is still in custody in a prison outside of Sao Paulo and Christian and Daniel are in prison as well and are serving their sentences in the same prison. And that, you guys, is the case of Manfred and Mauricia Richthofen. I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case, where you stand with Suzanne on all of it. Personally, I think that this was her idea. I think that she curated this idea and got Daniel and Christian on board. She got them to do the dirty work and wanted the inheritance for herself. And I would be very surprised if she didn't get caught that she would ever give them any of the money to begin with. I feel like she probably would have kept it all for herself. But that is my opinion. I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Like I said, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. So until then, stay safe. Bye guys.